Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to this, our podcast. For those of you who don't know me, my name is W.J. Sheehan. I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters. And that series is available at Amazon in paperback, ebook, and in the lending library. So do take advantage of that. And also, for you audio files out there, I have volumes two through six at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon for a little plug-and-play action in your automobile. <laughs> and <laughs> joining me now is my co-host and brother, Kevin Sheehan. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Bill? Super duper. We're getting through. Welcome to season two and happy new year. Yes, yes. A very happy new year to all of our listeners. And Kev, no you know what? Uh, you and I uh, were talking the other day. I was telling you about uh, Scott and Megan, uh, the musicians who are listeners of our show. And uh, I got to give props where props are due. We have a great listening audience kev uh i don't know oh, if no you, doubt i'm sure you realize that i do i do and like i said i think on the last podcast it really makes this special where we can have uh of course you and i working together sometimes from two different perspectives but then also we have such an active audience and they're coming in and providing their added intelligence on different things that we ask questions about or even things we don't ask questions about. And then, of course, they're sharing their encounters and their experiences and their opinions, yeah, which is awesome. It's really, uh, you know, I had envisioned this, as you know, Kev, uh, being somewhat interactive uh, with the audience and uh, but I'm telling you, what's been going on has been exceeding uh, the expectations that I had when we started. Do you feel that way? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, because, you know, that's we wanted the dynamic between you and I, you know, to be interesting. And we wanted participation from the audience, but we have more participation and a broader participation than I ever imagined, which is fantastic. Yeah. You know, and also, of course, for our audience, Bill, it makes it a lot more fun for you and I. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's all about a conversation. And yeah. uh, before I forget where I was going for a minute, uh, I, I like to bump anybody up who's worth bumping. And Scott and Megan certainly fall into that category. So for any of you people who are interested in good music, 
these folks call themselves amateur musicians, and I, or semi-professional, I would have to say, I listened to some cuts from their album, and I'm going to encourage you to do the same. They have an album out, and it's called Burn the Treaty. Burn the Treaty. <laughs> and uh, I listened to a few cuts on it. Uh, I think it's really cool music. Uh, and I'm going to encourage you guys to go out there and, and give a listen to what uh, uh, Megan and Scott are laying down out there. And I think you're really going to dig it. So check out Burn the Treaty. Uh, I looked it up on uh, iTunes. And it was right there. There's about five songs. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So uh, kudos to you guys, uh, Megan and Scott, for being great listeners of the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. Very cool. Awesome. Awesome. So, my brother, I understand you have something uh, rather interesting to talk about today that was sparked by one of our listeners. Exactly. Speak of the situation, and here it is, where uh, part of our listener mail a few weeks back, they were talking about looking into the rock apes of Vietnam, or sometimes known as Batu Tuts. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay. Um, God bless and, you. Uh, that, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that were well known in uh, in Vietnam, especially to the soldiers, uh, the American soldiers, and believe it or not, even the North Vietnamese soldiers um, uh, had encounters with these rock apes during the Vietnam War. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. And what's really cool about it is that there were so many different sightings and so many de uh, detailed witness accounts to the rock apes. So uh, it's pretty cool. Now, when you say uh, detailed witness accounts, are we talking about uh, indigenous peoples or also GIs? GIs and, uh, and uh, North Vietnamese. Awesome. Now, I... I know I mentioned to you uh, that I have an account, I think it's in book nine, which, folks, is not going to be out for quite a while, uh, but I do have an account from uh, a GI from the Vietnam era uh, in which he and a recon patrol encountered one of these things and gunned it down. Hmm. Uh, of course, they couldn't hang, it, hang around because once they fired the shots, their cover was blown. Uh, and they had to get out of Dodge quick. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. That's not surprising to me because in a lot of these accounts that I read, um, you know, they, they say, you know, that these apes were out there in parts of the jungle that never had human contact until the war. And, of course, you know, in the Vietnam War, there were, you know, tens of thousands of soldiers from both sides running around in parts of the jungle where no humans really spent any time before, yeah, and, just by the nature of the war. Yeah, you could only imagine what the uh, cannon fire, explosions, gunfire was doing to their psyche uh, running around right. in the jungle with these people who were never there before and all the racket. Right, but what's really interesting is that these these apes, or rock apes, they didn't know uh, human contact. 
So they didn't know to be afraid of humans, and they weren't afraid, it turns out, at all. So, you know, in some of these accounts from U.S. Uh, soldiers, uh, it's pretty interesting because these apes that are, by the way, about six feet tall, they'd be walking along in the jungle and they would come right up to the GIs because they weren't afraid of humans. You know, they didn't know them. They didn't have any contact with them. So they had no reason to be afraid. And as a result, the GIs would often think that it was a North Vietnamese patrol kind of sneaking up on them. And in fact, it was these rock apes at times. Yeah. And now let's be uh, let's be precise here. We're talking about something that's as tall as a tall human. Exactly. And walking. And walking upright. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, we're call- sounds a little bit like somebody else. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're calling him a rock ape, but uh, right off the bat, I mean, uh, you know, they may have been generally six feet tall over there, but it sounds a lot to me like a junior-sized Sasquatch. Exactly, exactly. So one particular hill over there in Vietnam had so many rock ape sightings that it became known as what they called Monkey Mountain. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And that was a, uh, a signal corps center uh, for the for the U.S. Army in Vietnam. And the name of it is Monkey Mountain. Wow. Pretty interesting. Now, what's, what section of Nam was Monkey Mountain in, Kev? Do you know? I, I don't know the exact location. Okay. But um, I got a picture of it here, but it doesn't say exactly where it is. Cool. But so get this. Why do you think they're called rock apes? Which this surprised me. Well, I'm going to just step right out because, you know, we, we said in that last encounter I was talking about where the Sasquatch had the rock in his hand. Exactly. And that's what it is. These rock apes uh, were named that because they had a propensity for throwing rocks wow. and usually in retaliation. Um you know, and, and and sometimes after something was thrown in their direction, they would throw it back. And they say in some of these accounts that they also threw grenades back. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, so note to self, you know, if you want to get rid of the rock ape and you're a, sh- a soldier, don't throw a grenade to them because they may throw it back. Yeah. Catch this potato, bub. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, is that wild or what? It is. It's crazy, you know. And, you know, this thing or these creatures really in the land of Bigfoot have been flying under the radar screen. I mean, we have a, a it sounds to me like there's a plethora of information available about these creatures. I haven't even heard anybody talk about them. I I never heard of them until, uh, you know, one of our listeners sent the email in suggesting we take a look at it. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're described as being about six feet tall, um, kind of uh, strong, you know, strong build, so muscular with long limbs and uh, covered in brown or reddish brown hair. Wow. So it's pretty interesting. And apparently they lived in uh, troops, you know, kind of groups and social with one another rather than having a solitary existence. And this is important because some of the things, you know, some of the naysayers that say they might be other types of apes, those other types of apes did not hang around in large groups. So they weren't as social. 
Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, and it's it's that that they they're believed to have that that their habitat was confined to a very remote area of the jungle jungle, very far from human habitation, and that's where you know the battle and the war in Vietnam opened up those areas to humans. And I thought that was super interesting because it reminded me of, you know, like I've talked about on some of the podcasts when I was up in Alaska this summer on uh, vacation and we were in that area with a giant brown bear out uh, on the uh, western part of the state in a very uh, uninhabited place and so uninhabited and that the bears had so little contact with humans, the bears weren't afraid at all of humans and didn't know human food. So you didn't have to be too afraid of them either. So it's kind of a similar situation where if the animals don't know what you are, then they're not afraid of you either. You know, and they're not threatened by you. Yeah. And it seems like this was the same thing, of course, until folks started throwing things at the apes and, yeah. you know, shooting at them. Uh, again, in fairness, thinking that they might be a North Vietnamese patrol. Um, and then these these creatures started to throw things back. Yeah. And, you know, but in my own mind, uh, things could get sketchy in a hurry when you're dealing with these creatures, whether they, you, we believe they uh, aren't afraid of us or uh, don't understand us or haven't interacted with us. I can easily see a switch being turned, and by what, who knows, where maybe one of them could just turn on you and start flailing punches at you or something. Oh, yeah, it's six feet tall. And then in some of the descriptions as well, they talk about them having, you know, these very large fangs wow. in their mouth as well. Yeah, fangs can hurt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, could you get that fang out of my shoulder? Any six-foot creature with large fangs is a little frightening. <laughs> yeah, like me, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe one that's carrying some grenades that they could throw at you. <laughs> hey, if I get a partial denture, maybe I'll ask him to put a fang in there or two. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Happy so Halloween. it turns out, you, you, I mentioned it earlier, that the, the sightings of these rock apes um, were common among the North Vietnamese army as well. And uh, common enough that one of the generals of the North Vietnamese army, uh, I'm going to try to say his name, but I'm not going to do it justice, <laughs> but it's General Huang Min Ta. He organized an expedition in 1974, so after the war, to try and capture or at least kill one of these legendary creatures. But um, that expedition was not successful. Wow. So after the war, he went in with some troops to try and find some, but couldn't find it. Well, I mean, just proof positive that uh, they didn't have time to hunt for apes when they had uh, GIs from both sides bearing down on each other. Oh, no, that was the least of their worry, yeah. right? Especially if you're cracking a shot off. You don't know who's hiding in the jungle 100 yards away, and when you fire a gun, uh, you might be uh, on the receiving end of uh, a dozen machine guns firing at you. Yep, yep. Wow. So, so we're going to talk about one of the specific accounts that was published in July of 2017, in a, a newspaper called the Advance Guard Press of Goliad, Texas, by a gentleman 
by the name of Tim Delaney as a reporter. And he's interviewing uh, a, a veteran of the Vietnam War called Alfonso Villarreal. And Alfonso saw a uh, rock ape and gave an account of it. So I'm going to walk you through that a little bit. Very cool. Yeah, and he's a recognized veteran. It says that he participated in 23 major battles during his tour of duty. Wow. And he said um, uh, on at one, one evening, uh, he was with his platoon, and off in the distance, he and his comrades saw what looked like a large medicine ball moving toward them through a ravine. And the object kept moving toward them until it was right up on the end of a rifle. And one of the Marines tapped the thing with the rifle and the thing started screaming, yelling, waving its arms all over and running away. And uh, Villarreal says that it was a baby rock ape. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This, thing, this thing came rolling down a hill like a bull? Apparently rolling down like the ravine. And then after, you know, they poked this thing, it started screaming at them and it went running back up the ravine off the sides of the ravine, um, some large boulders started to rain down on the troops. And he says in his account, some of the boulders were as big as 300 to 400 pounds. Holy smoke. Yep. Wow, what a crazy set of circumstances. Yep. And here he says that the the adult apes, after that, were coming down the path toward the pl- toward the platoon, and they were fearless. And he said they were like giant gorillas, and they had four to five-inch fangs. Wow. Yeah, and he said that the platoon had to shoot them, and he thinks that they shot about 17 of them. Holy mackerel. I know, and he says he's never seen anything like it. Here's a guy that went through... What did I say? How many battles uh, in in uh, Vietnam? 23 major battles he's credited with. And he says he's never seen anything like this, you know, where they were attacked by these apes and had to shoot them. That is just incredible. I never in my wildest dreams expected this would be where you were going today. I know. It's, it's a pretty interesting story. What a bizarre. And these creatures with a fang, it was like a... Uh, obviously, they had to be together. They didn't just, you know, blow a whistle and people start, apes started showing up. That group was there. That's what they say. They they hang out together in what they call a troop. Wow. Uh, together. And then the, the last bit of this is that, um, you know, folks went back later on here. They don't say when. Uh, maybe Maybe in 1982 or so. Um, but I'm not sure about that date. They went back over there to talk to different folks, um, researchers and primatologists, uh, that Vietnamese folks that had taken some castings of these footprints, you know, these large human-like footprints that weren't human, though. And um, one of them was taken back to the U.S. and examined by uh, our well-known Bigfoot researcher and anthropologist, uh, Jeff Jeff Meldrum, Dr. Meldrum. And Meldrum called the print a significant discovery and one of the best pieces of evidence he's ever seen. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, super cool. Yeah, and now you're talking about these creatures. How big were the fangs? 
I think he said four four inches. So I big mean, fangs. You're talking about like a tiger sized fang there. Yeah, six feet tall, walking around and super strong, throwing boulders down the ravine that weigh hundreds of pounds. Well, listen, you know, uh, I don't know if we went through the story. If we didn't, we will at some time. Uh, where uh, this gentleman had said up in Canada that he believed that Sasquatch had grabbed full 50-gallon drums and thrown them. Mm. And I don't know what a 50-gallon drum... Well, let's see. How much... A gallon of gasoline weighs what? Like seven pounds? Yeah, I was going to say six pounds, but I don't know for sure. Okay, so let's just say it was six pounds. And you're talking a 50-gallon drum plus the weight of the drum. You have to be looking at 350 pounds or 400 pounds. Yeah, exactly. And here in this story, we're talking about a GI uh, who says that they were throwing some rocks that looked like they weighed three or 400 pounds. Exactly. I mean, we are talking... Man, I put, you know, I'm putting up like 350 pounds on a seated press at the gym, and that Mm. is freaking brutal. I can't (laughs) imagine throwing that uh, five feet, let alone down a ravine. I don't know, Bill. That's still pretty impressive. You might have some (laughs) Bigfoot strength there. Ah. You might have to take a casting of your feet. Well, if you can get past the smell, you're welcome to cast them. (laughs) 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 Woo-wee! That sounded like a (laughs) yah-wee. Oh, that's too much, man. Yeah, but pretty pretty cool story, right? And again, thanks to uh, one of our listeners sending in the idea to look into it. Uh, I've been reading about it for a few weeks, and it's pretty pretty awesome stuff out there. Yeah, we'll be digging back into that. And, you know, that all spawned from that account where the guy said that uh, uh, they heard an explosion and thinking somebody got blown up by a landmine, what they came upon was one of these apes. Exactly. It was the, the They were doing the, the clearing of landmines uh, in Cambodia, right, next That's door. Right. And, um, uh, they, you know, they said what they thought was a baby Sasquatch got blown up by a mine. Right. So it's pretty interesting. And then this person wrote in and said, hey, yeah, check out this rock ape stuff. That's probably what he ran into because, of course, they share the border with one another. Yeah, no doubt about it. And didn't, didn't that guy in that account say that the one they saw was about four feet? Exactly. So it's probably, you know, a, 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 junior, a junior or a young, exactly. young, young one growing up. Wow, that yep. is bizarre, man. That is really <laughs> off the charts bizarre. Yeah, super cool. And uh, apparently, according to uh, this account, uh, Dr. Meldrum got his hands on one of these prints. Yeah, one of the castings. Boy, that is really interesting, you know? Yep. Wow. All right, man. Uh, what else you got on that? Is that it for today? That's it for today. Well, wow, that's fantastic, man. Thanks a lot for doing the uh, yeoman's work and bringing that to the table. Now, I have something really interesting here. Uh, This account, oh, this guy shares your name, Kev, so this is pretty cool. Mm. Uh, The following sighting uh, was brought to my attention by a guy named Kevin and uh, Karen Murphy, a husband Mm. and wife uh, team 
who got a little more than they had bargained for while hiking the long trail near Stowe, Vermont. So uh, I'm going to begin with what Kevin said. And he said to me, as I mentioned to you earlier, Bill, my wife and I had skied here the year prior to our sighting, and we were mesmerized by the beauty of the surroundings in the winter. Many of the locals encouraged us to return when the fall colors were fully on display, so we decided to come back the following year and try to catch some of this beautiful fall foliage. It was the first week of October in 2014 that my wife and I had prepared to hike a good section of the Long Trail in the area of Stowe, Vermont. The day was somewhat sporadically overcast, with blue skies peeking in and out of the cloud cover. It was fairly warm, with the temperatures in the low 50s, as I recall, which is something I remember distinctly in that my wife and I had dressed for quite the opposite, peeling back the layers as we hiked along. We had been hiking for about an hour when we found ourselves coming down the side of a low-lying hill, overlooking an area of brightly colored trees in shades of red, yellow, and maroon, as well as a variety of green pines. It was absolutely breathtaking. As we looked ahead of us, we could see a large pond in the distance that appeared to have a couple of beaver houses along its banks. So we decided to head in the direction of the pond and have a look-see. At this time, we were several hundred yards away from the pond as we began heading towards it. I should also mention that the two of us had seen nothing unusual from our position when first spying out the pond in the distance. We were within about a hundred yards from the pond, but we still couldn't see it. We were making our way through a sea of trees in a variety of shapes and sizes when we began to hear some noises emanating from the direction of the pond. Now, this is when uh, he switched over to his wife. So this is his wife speaking. Hmm. It was then that we heard a noise, and I told Kevin to stop and listen. Neither of us was sure what it was we were hearing, but to me, it sounded like firewood being tossed on a pile when you are stacking cordwood, like pieces of wood rattling against each other. The two of us being completely unfamiliar with the types of animals in the area and the noises they may be capable of making were in a quandary as to what we were hearing. Kevin thought that it may have been the sound of antlers hitting each other on the other side of a tree. While I was in total disagreement, saying that it sounded different than that, but not knowing at all what that meant. Again, we still had no idea exactly how far we were from the pond, but at this point, we were standing perfectly still and just listening to the sounds. It was then that Kevin said to me, let's creep forward very slowly and see if anything comes into view. Mind you, we were unarmed, and I was more than a little freaked out by this whole scenario of walking towards an unknown sound. I had whispered to Kevin, 
what if it's a moose or a bear and it decides to charge us? We could be killed. But Kevin, being the eternal optimist, said that we wouldn't get too close. He just wanted to see what it was. It was maybe 10 minutes or so later that we had made our way into position into a position where there was a medium-sized spruce or cedar tree shielding our left side, through which we could see part of the pond and one of the beaver houses. That's when we heard the noises again. I was certain that we were listening to logs being shuffled around in a heap, which led me to believe that we were hearing the beavers working in or around their homes. Since we were able to see one house with no activity going on, we assumed they were working on the other one, which we had seen from the hill, but was not in our view currently. (coughs) Excuse me. Convinced that we were listening to beavers at work, the two of us had momentarily lost our fear of being attacked and started working our way through the brush, heading in the direction we believed the other house was located. I should tell you that when we were looking at the pond from the elevation of the hillside, these houses were two enormous piles of logs located on two different edges of the pond shoreline. They were mounds of large and small branches piled up about six feet high at the center. After now seeing one house at a fairly close range, we realized that the materials that it was made out of didn't seem to have the bulk necessary to make the noises we were hearing. Nevertheless, we moved forward. We didn't know at this point we were actually only 50 feet or so from the other house because it was shielded by the trees and brush around us. Suddenly, a large creature whose back was facing towards us stood up momentarily and then squatted back down out of view. I looked at Kevin, and he at me, and he mouthed the word Bigfoot. Kevin started to wave his hand for us to back out of there, and we began to do so. The noises continued as we were retracing our steps out of the area. My heart was racing as we started moving faster to put distance between ourselves and the creature. We kept going until we had reached a point where we were back on the hillside, at which point we hid behind some trees and watched the pond. This Bigfoot, which had not been in the picture when we had first seen the pond, was crouching next to the house, moving the branches and logs around. It was apparently trying to capture some beavers hidden within the structure without allowing them to escape. The thought had crossed our minds that this monster was walking around in the area at the same time we were heading towards the pond from one direction or the other. It obviously had not seen us, and at no time did it even glance in our direction, its attention being completely fixated on whatever was in the pile of debris. As the Bigfoot continued to circle the house, reaching in it, at a variety of points. We could see two beavers swimming and splashing around in the pond. They were slapping the surface with their flat tails, making a loud popping sound, which we believe was being done in an effort to distract the Bigfoot or scare it away from the area. 
We initially saw the Bigfoot standing with its back to us on the pile of logs. It had to have been eight or nine feet tall and all of four feet wide. It was absolutely enormous and covered in dark brown hair that was fairly long. Everything about the Bigfoot's body shape said that it was extremely strong, being basically muscle upon muscle to the eye. What was amazing to me was that despite its potential strength, it didn't tear the whole house apart, which was certainly which it was certainly more than capable of doing. It was as though it wanted to capture a beaver but save the source for future food by not destroying where it knew they lived, which to us said that the creature possessed some type of intelligence. Knowing that we were far away from our starting point and that this monster could easily cover ground faster than we could because of its immense size, we decided to get while the getting was good and hiked on out of there at double time. The whole time, we were wondering if this thing or its family members were hot on our trail. Thankfully for us, we weren't followed and made it safely off the trail. The entire experience was extremely exhilarating and completely frightening at the same time, as you would well imagine. And yet, when all was said and done, I don't believe that few people, if any, believe the story which the two of us had to tell. This is an utterly amazing phenomena in regards to this creature of which we are now part of. Here you have my husband and I, who were eyewitnesses ourselves to the existence of this beast, and yet people continually say it must have been a large bear or the like, as if we have lost our capabilities of knowing what we had seen for ourselves. <laughs> It was completely amazing, nonetheless. Super cool. Yeah. And, you know, a number of interesting points here. The power of people to observe for themselves the obvious is when the woman says they came to the assumption, and rightly so, I might add, that the creature easily could have destroyed this house and tried to leap and jump and crash around and just grab whatever beaver it could. But in their opinion, it realized the value of leaving the nest for a future mm. raid. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a crazy thing, you know? Mm. Uh, they never really seemed to get to the bottom of what was the heavy knocking or rattling of, as she said, cordwood. Uh, but they did observe that the house itself uh, didn't seem to have the right dimensions of logs, if that's the right thing to say, uh, to clank together and make these uh, the noises which they had heard. Now the ones the ones I've seen I f I forget what they're called is it a beaver hutch or a den or whatever um, the ones I've seen are kind of you know muddy and kind of straw and hay and a little bit of wood but not not that you'd hear banging logs together yeah so who knows who knows maybe there was something else around there signaling to each other and. You know, he he thought it was like antlers clacking together or against a tree. 
Yeah, who knows? Could be know. anything, right? Could yeah, be I, something, like you said, totally unrelated to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but it was the sound that got them going in the, in the first place, you know? Cool. And this was up in northern Vermont, is that? Uh, somewhere around Stowe. Yep, that's up north, probably up towards Smuggler's Notch. I've done a little bit of hiking up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can never remember the names of trails, though, so, you know, I mean. Well, that's uh, a, that's another interesting thing about uh, people going into areas. They obviously have area knowledge. Yeah. You know, you just yeah. don't go stomping into someplace you have no knowledge of and know the name of the trail unless you knew the name when you went there and said, hey, how do we get here? Exactly. You know, but uh, it's... It's always very interesting to me uh, the situational uh, awareness and the area knowledge that a lot of these people have. And this many times gets confirmed by our listeners, uh, which is another cool thing, you know, another cool aspect of doing the podcast that the listeners are very astute. Uh, and they'll many times uh, contact us and say, yeah, you know, Thus, thus, and so is exactly as the person said. Very cool. It was also interesting to hear about the beavers uh, smacking their tails on the water. Um, I know my first encounter with that was probably 10 years ago. We were here in North Carolina out on a a river called the Eno River uh, west of Chapel Hill. And um, we were doing this kayaking kind of team building outing but we did it in the middle of the night to make wow. it a little more interesting with a guide you know and i remember sitting in the kayak while the guide's telling us stories about folklore and things like that it's pitch dark and all of a sudden it sounded like somebody threw a bowling ball into the water next to me you know almost like a rock ape was up on the side oh or something you're lucky but, you didn't uh, flip the kayak exactly and i was like what the heck was that and the guide was like oh no that's just the beavers you know he said they come up right next to you and they whap their tail on the surface, and it really sounds like someone threw a bowling ball into the water. Wow. And, and that's their way of sending an alarm. Uh, are they sending an alarm to themselves, or are they trying to spook you? I don't know, but it's probably both, like yeah. letting the others know that there's a problem, and certainly it was spooking me. Well, listen, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you right now, the next time I talk to a beaver, I'm going to ask him. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, beef. What up, bro? <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, I I thought the people would enjoy that uh that account. Uh they're all so different and so varied. I mean, we just went from the jungles of Vietnam with rock apes and uh here we are in uh northern Vermont. Uh, talking about people hiking. I mean, these hmm. creatures, what's the distance between Vietnam and Vermont, Kev? <laughs> Other yeah. side of the world, yeah. for sure. It's just an incredibly vast uh, and global uh, reach that uh, these creatures or similar creatures uh, have. So, uh, I mean, you know, I'm on board with this hook, line, and sinker. You know, I don't believe any of these people are pulling our legs. No, no. And what did Dr. Meldrum say? He thought it was a significant find. Yeah, yeah. So he uh, definitely was on board 
that this was something special. And I, I just think it's interesting, like the rock ape phenomena, you know, is interesting in that because here the jungle is so dense, right? And, you know, they're only discovered because of the war going on and all these humans being places where they shouldn't be. And, you know, tens of thousands of humans, right, being right. places where they wouldn't normally be. And then they discover this species, you know, potential species of creature. And I mean, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, uh, look, let's just say hypothetically uh, a war erupted in uh, North America. And let's just say there were a couple of armies taking sides in, oh, I don't know, uh, British Columbia, Northern California, Oregon, and what else can we include in there? Maybe some Montana, Northern Idaho. Okay, so let's say that section of the country was suddenly uh, consumed by a couple of fairly large armies uh, having at it. What do you think the odds are of a few more Bigfoot being seen under those circumstances? Could be. I don't want to think about having that war go on, but I get your point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is here we are in Vietnam where all of this this mayhem takes place. And because of this, uh, what was relatively certainly unknown to American GIs, they never heard of anything about a rock ape. And yet they're thrown into this maelstrom, this conflict of man versus man. Uh, and lo and behold, during all of this, not that they didn't have things to worry about already, like saving their own butt. Uh, but that, now they got these rock apes with fangs uh, coming towards them down the hill that they got to deal with. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it's a little bit too like the uh, we did the episode on uh, Map and Gory in the Amazon, right? You know, yeah. complete dense jungle. You take a step at any point, you might die because of all of the poisonous insects, spiders, snakes. I mean, not unlike Vietnam, I would imagine, the jungles of Vietnam. So it's like there's not many people roaming around to discover these creatures and see these creatures. But then, you know, this war goes on, awful, atrocious war, and these soldiers come back from both sides, right, uh, and report on, you know, seeing these rock apes. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's very similar to like uh, a, uh, uh, a policeman making a report. You know, the soldiers are out there, they've got weapons, they've got training, uh, they're not mistaking a rock ape for the opposition. They're just saying, you know, this is what we saw, six feet tall, big fangs, uh, groups of them, uh, whatever they may be, this is what we saw, and it's on both sides, like you said. Yeah, no doubt about it. And look, this, you know, this one account was, uh, you know, a decorated veteran of 23 big battles. Yeah. So he's got better things to talk about than these apes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and do you think he cares if you don't believe him? No. No. Wow, that's incredible. Well, great job all the way around today, Kev. So what have we got uh, lined up for our listener mail? <coughs> yeah, excuse me. We got some yeah. good, uh, good listener mail again. The first one is from Edmund in Morocco. Wow. 
and he says, great podcast. What is the latest, if anything, on the Yeti? We don't hear too much about the creature. Do you think they've died off? Thanks so much for what you do, Edmund. Wow, that's incredible. From Morocco? Morocco. Wow. So, Kev, tackle that one. What do you think? uh, You think the Yeti is dead? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, so we we had the reports uh, that we uh, went over probably about four or five months ago where the Indian Army tweeted out the footprints of the Yeti. We did the other account from uh, uh, Siberia where the three kids, if you recall, ran into uh, what certainly looked like a Yeti. And again, these are in very rural places. And uh, I think we will see more and we will likely see more and more of these creatures as more and more folks get out there exploring. And as, uh, you know, technology increases, we see more things like trail cameras. Of course, now everyone has, a, a, a you know, a pretty uh, high definition camera and recording device, video recording device in their pocket at all times in the form of a telephone, <laughs> a smartphone. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so I, I think we'll see more. I, I don't have any reason to believe that they died off. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, and I don't know what the population is like in the areas where Yeti is typically sighted. I'm sure it's, it's sparse compared to what we're used to. Uh, but, you know, these people, uh, you know... Again, even if they don't have a camera, uh, you know, we do have a lot of cameras around, but everybody is not carrying a camera. I'm not carrying a camera. <laughs> I saw, You're you know, in the minority, Bill. Yeah, I'm just saying, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not carrying one. So You're if I was minority. hiking around, yeah. you would have to rely on what I said to you. Yep, no doubt about it. Wow, that's interesting. Me, on the other hand, I'm carrying a camera, but I'd probably be so shaken up that I wouldn't be able to take the picture. <laughs> Ah, steady yourself, mate, and take the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Stay where you are, Sasquatch, or you'll catch my cutlass. (laughs) Pirates and Sasquatch. Aye, mate. (laughs) Now, listen, listen, speaking of pirates and Sasquatch, how would you like to be a pirate and your crew was Sasquatch? Whoa. Yeah, that would talk about vicious combatants. New uh, new uh, view on mutiny on the bounty. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They'd just jump on your boat and tear the mast down and beat you with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, catch this boulder, mate. Bang! <laughs> I wouldn't uh, want to give them my uh, ration of rum, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you let them hit the rum, the rum barrel... And then you tell them to start throwing the cannonballs at the boat next to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. How did we get on that subject? All man? right. Well, we're leaving Morocco and the pirates with uh, Sasquatch crew, and we're going to go to New Jersey. <laughs> All right. Uh, t- to Willard. And Willard writes, fantastic show you guys are putting out. I'd like to hear your take on the Jersey Devil. The Pine Barrens here are still very active, according to local reports, with both Bigfoot and other paranormal activity. Keep it flying, Willard. Wow. 
So what do you think, Bill? What do you know about the Jersey Devil? I mean, I know about the Jersey Devils hockey team, but <laughs> I've heard of the Jersey Devil, but I don't know much about them. Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing. Uh, I have a co-worker uh, who came from Jersey, and uh, she was talking to me at one time about the Jersey Devil. Uh you know, this, there are areas out there, man, where just, like, high strangeness goes on. You mm. remember me talking to you, Kev, a while ago that we got to uh, do some pieces on this uh, northern triangle? Yep, yep. And there is weirdness going on out there that the, the natural man cannot put a finger on, uh, nor can they wrap their mind around it. There is weird stuff going on out there. And, you know, we will certainly be digging into the weird and the strange as we move forward here. And, of course, the Jersey Devil uh, will be on there. Now, I don't know much about this Jersey Devil. I, I think it's like a flying creature. I, yeah, I, I've read about it, but it's just not coming to mind. But Willard's not the first one to write in to us, too, asking us to look into it. So I'll definitely uh, put it on the list. Yeah, yeah. Well, See what you know, we can dig up on the Jersey Devil. I wonder if it is related to the hockey team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. did they come up with the name, like, related to this Jersey Devil? Well, you know, bro, as a New Yorker, you know, I could see if the Rangers or the Islanders put a whooping on him. One of them might go berserk and run out into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, if you saw a guy in a red jersey flailing around a large hockey stick, you might freak you out a little bit. Exactly. No doubt about it. <laughs> he could be screaming, we lost again, we lost again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, All right, we got, we got a couple more uh, letters here. So the uh, first one is from Tolga in Slovakia. Wow. Eastern Europe. So uh, Tolga, I think, is a woman. Um, she says, peace in the new year to both of you and much success. Have either of you actually encountered this Bigfoot creature? Also, why the different names for supposedly the same beast? Regards, Tolga. Wow. Well, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, no, I haven't seen a big yep, creature. I haven't either. So, uh, and, But the names, though, Kev, I mean, obviously the names are varied uh, depending where you go and who you're talking to. And I believe we're kind of talking about the same family of creatures here. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're often regional. And uh, coming from uh, different cultures, you know. So Bigfoot, as I recall, I mean, that name came about fairly recently, right? I think it was in the early 70s, somewhat in Northern California. I forget the gentleman's name, you know, took the castings of the foot f footprints and got got pretty famous for that. Got, got a lot of uh, notoriety, notoriety and, uh, you know, coined the phrase Bigfoot. Yeah, that was actually in the late 50s. Oh, okay. I think the mid to latter part of the 50s. That sounds right, yeah. And uh, the Bigfoot, you know, and I think there were people who denied that happened or said it was a hoax. As yeah, there, there was a lot were. of uh, uh, hoax uh, rumors around it. Right, but now, you know, we're talking, uh, I've heard the name Uma, 
from some of the tribal people out on the uh, Pacific Northwest area. I've heard uh, Sasquatch is also an Indian name, I believe. Yep, a native native name. Yep. Right, we got Bigfoot. We got down south. We have the swamp ape, the booger. Uh, and we're just talking about the rock ape. We had last week, Bill. What was it? The who hoodoo? Oh, that was another weirdo. Yeah. With the uh, now that was a guy I spoke to a listener who was a surveyor. Yep. And he ran into the guy on the property doing uh, doing his work, and he asked him if he had seen the hoodoo. Exactly. So I think there's probably a hundred. A hundred different names, and a lot of the names are regional and, you know, related also, of course, to the language that's in the region, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, an indigenous language or a more modern language as well. Right, right. Yeah, it's a weird thing, you know. Yeah. But, this but definitely- we, we, we do think some of these creatures are related to one another. Yeah, there's, uh, there's no doubt about it to me. Yeah. Cool. Well, All right. And our last... Note comes in from Andy in South Carolina, and he says, I'm smelling what you're cooking, and I'm ready to sit down and eat. You go, Andy. (laughs) He said, I, I too, have seen what I think was a Bigfoot while creek fishing one day. Or is it crick? I don't know if it's creek or crick in South Carolina. I couldn't fully... Uh, identify it, but it did seem to be interested in what I was doing. I saw a couple of flashes of it through the brush as it seemed to be sneaking around. Great uh, podcast. You are the best. Wow. Well, so there you go. Nothing full on, nothing, uh, no front, full frontal attack. Right. Uh, nothing to film. He makes an observation. He sees something flashing in and out of the brush. Looks unusual. Yeah, probably has a feeling that something's watching him, you know. Yeah, yeah, and then he says he thinks he saw a Bigfoot. Yeah, it's wild. By, you know. by the way, I was in a sporting goods store night before last, Bill, uh, down here, and um, I was picking up a couple of things, you know, on sale after, uh, after the holidays, and they had a couple of uh, stickers there, printed vinyl stickers with the hairy man on them. So uh, I grabbed a couple of those off of the sale rack. Can never get enough of those. And it was funny. <laughs> the cashier said, so, uh, you know, what do you think? You think this Bigfoot thing is real? And, of course, I told her, you know, that we did the podcast and stuff like that. And she got a kick out of it. And she said, well, I'm from South Carolina. And my uncle is a huge believer and says he's seen one multiple times. So, wow. you know, I didn't see this mail back then, but maybe her uncle is actually Andy. Who knows? <laughs> well, you know, here you go again, though, Kev. You're at the counter, not suspecting anything to happen other than a sale. Mm-hmm. You make a little conversation, a little back and forth. Next thing you know, my uncle... And here exactly. we go. Here we no, go we hear again. about it all the time. And I, I hadn't told you about this yet, but it was kind of interesting because I just picked up these stickers as well as some other clothing and stuff, non-Bigfoot related. And, uh, you know, she said, so what do you think about this Bigfoot? You think he's real? And it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Now, and that's the way it goes. You, you just don't know the how and the when uh, that you're going to run across somebody. Now, uh, what I would have done, I don't know, you may have done this. I would have said to the lady, here's my number. Give it to your uncle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ask him to give me a shout if he feels like talking about it. I'm interested. Yeah. 
You know, it's just a weird thing. You know, I just you throw enough stuff out there and things start to come back. Yep, I'm with you. I'm yep. with you. Absolutely good, awesome. Good stuff. Well, Bill, that's it for our for uh, what I have for the first episode of season two. And, uh, you know, before we close out, I just want to thank our listeners for listening and uh, encourage them, you know, please take a minute while you're listening and give us five stars on your favorite podcast app. And uh, if you can write us a kind review, just a quick kind review of how much you like it, because that allows more people to discover the podcast and gives us more listeners, which uh, we'd appreciate your help there. Fantastic. And by the way, if it's not a kind review, you'll be tasting the edge of my cutlass. (laughs) You'll sail over with your Sasquatch crew. I me mates. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, once again, a very happy and prosperous new year to all of you. And we're so glad to have you on board with what it is we are doing. And if you should find yourself walking through the woodland in this new year, remember, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.